you have your Bibles, we'll be in Luke chapter 21 this morning. Hope you are thawed out from the weekend, ready for the heat wave to come this week. Such is life in Kentucky. All right. Hey, this will be the uh, last week in our mic drop series. And um, just so you kind of know where we're going, um, in the weeks to come, we're going to continue on in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, but starting next week, we're going to sort of shift our focus, kind of leading up to Easter, uh, the cross, uh, Palm Sunday, the resurrection. I got all those out of order, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Holy Week. Um, we will get there uh, in the weeks to come, uh, but this will be the last Sunday in our, our mic drop series, and just to kind of sort of recalibrate, reorient ourselves with uh, recap, I guess, where we've been, is we've just been looking at some of the things Jesus did, some of the things that Jesus said that uh, were, were sort of mic drop moments, and just, again, if you don't, you're not familiar with that term, it's basically just things that Jesus did or said uh, where... Like people were marveled or astonished at what he had just done, what he had just taught them, the words that had just come out of his mouth. And so uh, that's where we've been. We've looked at stuff like um, Jesus announcing the forgiveness of sin. Right? That was a big deal. That was way back early on when uh, some friends of a paralytic man lowered him in through the, the ceiling, the roof of a building. Uh, and Jesus not only healed him, but before he healed him, he announced that his sins were forgiven. And it just like, astonished everybody. We talked about... Uh, Jesus healing a woman of, uh, who had a, a discharge, an issue of blood for 12 years. Talked about Jesus raising the dead to life. Um, talked about him casting out demonic spirits and giving sight to the blind and, and bringing salvation to the house of, of a sinner, uh, a tax collector. Right? These are just things that Jesus did, things Jesus taught, things Jesus said that, that shocked the people that were in, uh, in his presence. And, and what's amazing is is that's, like, we've only skimmed the surface of what Jesus did, what Jesus said, what Jesus taught, right? We didn't even look at all the things that we could pull out of the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we just kind of went through and, and grabbed a few. We could look through Matthew and Mark and John, and we'd find even more things that Jesus did or said. Uh, and, and here's what I think is amazing. We could skim through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, and we still wouldn't know everything that Jesus did. Right? Because here's how John ends his Gospel. Uh, I love this. This is the very last verse of the book of John. He says, Now there are, many, uh, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Like, I don't know if you've ever read that verse. It just like We only know a fraction of what Jesus did, what Jesus said. Right? We, we know enough that Right, we know what God wants us to know. It's recorded in His Word, but like we don't even like we don't even know the full extent of what Jesus did in His thirty-three-ish years on this earth. And yet, those things, thirty-three years worth of life and ministry, were enough to change the course of history. So that's amazing to me. But, anyways, um, back to kind of what we're doing this morning. Right, we've got all these mic drop moments. Uh, that we've looked at over the last few weeks, plenty more in the Bible that we didn't even get to. Uh, but this morning, it's, it's a little different because we're actually going to look at uh, the story of a, a poor widow. That's how we're introduced to her. And, and really, in a way, it's her that has the sort of mic drop moment. Okay, it's, uh, or, or at least she sets, it's her actions that, that set Jesus up, is probably a better way to say it, to, to sort of drop the mic. And so uh, we're going to read it in just a minute. Let me give you a little context. Um, so 
Luke 20, right? We're in Luke 21, but all of Luke 20 is basically Jesus butting heads with the religious leaders of the day, the scribes, the Pharisees, uh, the chief priests. Uh, we looked at some of that last week. I know uh, Shane was here with you all, and I was over at Springfield Road, but uh, all of Luke 20 is essentially Jesus just butting heads with the religious leaders. They would bring him a question to try and trap him in something because they wanted to get Jesus off the scene. Uh, and then Jesus would just like flex on them, answer the question, make them look foolish, uh, and send them on their way. Right? You, you'd think eventually they would realize we should stop asking this guy questions. Okay? But they don't. They keep going. Uh, and, it, and it never really pans out for them. So that's what Luke 20 is. You've got this tension rising as we, uh, all these events are happening during Holy Week, right, the week that Jesus was crucified. Uh, and so this is part of why that tension begins to increase between Jesus and the religious leaders of that day. So they've got all this tension uh, rising. Um, and at the very end of Luke 20 is him talking about uh, the, the scribes and how he's basically issuing a warning right, to his disciples and to those that were there listening. And he says, um, hey, be careful. Right? Be aware of the scribes. Because uh, his point, I'm not going to read it. You can read it just a few verses there at the end of 20. His, his point is just that uh, they love to be seen. Right? All their religious rites and rituals and practices are nothing more than a show because they want to be seen, they want to be noticed, they want to be applauded right, for their uh, religious piety. Right? And Jesus is saying, hey, be, be careful around these guys. Because uh, they're in it for themselves. That's what they're in it for. Right? He actually even says, uh, and this kind of sets up the text today, he, he even says that they would extort uh, widows for their own benefit. Right? That's a paraphrase of what he says. Right? They devour widows' houses for their own benefit, for their own, uh, for their own good. And so Jesus is issuing this warning to these religious leaders. And that's kind of the, the contrast of the backdrop of what we see. Because while he's sort of, uh, condemning these religious leaders of the day and warning his disciples and, and the crowd basically to, to be careful around these guys, uh, something catches Jesus' eye. All right, this is in Luke chapter 21. Read the first four verses. It says, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put, two small, put in two small copper coins. And he said... Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed, <clears throat> excuse me, contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. All right, so to, to set the scene, you've got Jesus uh, and his audience. They're likely somewhere around sort of the courts of the temple. Uh, and in that court, there would have been multiple boxes uh, offering boxes for the, the people to put their offerings, different kinds of offerings and, and tithes and stuff into. Not totally unlike the box that's right out there, except theirs was probably much more ornate. Right, We're on a budget here. Um, so they've got these, these boxes out in the, the courts of the temple. Uh, and, and so there's, uh, Luke tells us that there are rich people in line putting their, their offerings into the boxes, right? which is not uncommon. They show up, they pay their tithes, their offerings, um, that's, that's an act of worship for them. I would argue that our giving is still an act of worship for us today, but it certainly was uh, for them. And so not uncommon to see the rich people doing this. But then something catches Jesus' eye. It's as the rich go through the line, they're, they're dropping their, their offerings in the boxes, and all of a sudden Jesus sees a widow. 
right? A, a widow dropping in uh, what Luke says are, are two small copper coins, right? And we don't know what it was that caught Jesus' eye. Was it the fact that, that this woman is alone without a man, without, without her husband? Uh, was it the fact, Luke says she's a poor widow, maybe her, her clothing was worn and tattered. And for whatever reason, Jesus notices, right? Or maybe it's just Jesus in his omniscience. He knows what's going on and he's just going to use this woman to, to make a point here in just a second. For whatever reason, though, we, Luke points out this woman, poor widow, drops in her two small copper coins, right? And, uh, to, to give some sort of uh, background as to that amount, right? Last week, uh, we looked at Jesus used a coin in his object lesson, right? Talk about rendering to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, to God the things that are God. Uh, and in that text last week, Jesus held up a denarius, if you remember. I think Shane put a picture of it on the screen uh, if you were here, right? And so denarius was equal to basically a day's wage in that time, okay? But these two small copper coins that this, this widow puts in the box uh, were the smallest denomination the smallest coin that she could have possibly put in. Right? It was, uh, if my calculations are correct, which is suspect because math is not my strong suit, uh, her donation was roughly about between 1% to 2% of a denarius. So you take a day's wage, is the coin you saw last week, and the coin that this woman put in uh, combined, these two coins, roughly, we're talking less than 5% of a day's wage. That's what she, she puts in. It's, it's like the equivalent of the coins that you and I wouldn't even bend over to pick up on the ground. It's basically what she drops into the box. Right, but what's going to happen here is that as insignificant as her gift was, right, she's not rich, she's a poor widow, she's got not, like, not a lot to give. As insignificant as her gift was, Jesus is going to leverage it and use it for a teaching moment. Let's look back at verse, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 3. And he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. Right? What I think is interesting is Jesus doesn't just commend her, her giving. I mean, he does, but he doesn't just stop there. He says she put in more than all of the other people that day. Now remember, right before her was a line of rich people dropping in their gifts. And yet Jesus says, she put in more than them. And if you, uh, the words here in the original language could be translated as, she put in more than all of them combined. Right? Her two small copper coins that you and I wouldn't even bother to pick up on the ground. This is what she's put in the box. And that's what Jesus says, she's put in more than all of the rest of them. So what is he getting at here? Right, what is, how could she possibly have put in more? Right, we're talking a, a, just a small fraction, a small percentage of a day's wage. How could Jesus possibly say that she's put in more than them? One of the, the commentaries I read this week, uh, it, it said that, I thought it was an interesting thought. He said basically, the reason Jesus could say that she put in more than the rest of them was because God measures the giving of his people not on the, the size of their gift, but on how much remains after their gift. 
Now, is that an accurate interpretation? I don't know. That was one guy's interpretation. Right? I don't know if that's right or not, but what I do know is that the, the amount of the gift, my gift, your gift, the gift of this woman, the amount of our gift, that reveals how God has blessed us. Right? God blesses us more, we're able to give more. Right? The amount of the gift reveals how God has blessed us. But the amount that remains often reveals like the posture of our hearts towards God. So this is kind of what Jesus is getting at in verse 4. You look again at, at verse 4. He says, For they all contributed out of their abundance. So he's talking about the rich people that were in line. They all gave out of their abundance. In other words, they had more than they needed. Right? They, uh, maybe a better way to say this, whenever they dropped their offerings in the box that day, and they went back home and went back to their, their daily life, uh, they probably didn't give a second thought to what they'd put in the box. Right? They, they give their offering, they go back home, life returns to normal. Right? At no point did they give a second thought to that gift. Right? They weren't worried about uh, how they were going to buy food uh, for their, their families. Right? They weren't worried about how they were going to put clothes on their back. They weren't worried about how they're going to keep a roof over their heads. They just went, they gave, they left, on to the next day. Right? But, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. And to, be, to give some context, to, to be a widow in the first century was, like, it was significant. Right? That was to be part of the most vulnerable uh, class of, of society, to be a, a widow in the first century. And to remove any doubt, Luke tells us that she was a poor widow. And there, there's not a lot of opportunity for income for a widow in this culture. So she's already poor. Right? She doesn't have a lot. She, she doesn't have hardly anything. And the text says that, that she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. So unlike the rich, my guess is that when she dropped in these two small copper coins that would have seemed insignificant to many of the people there that day, would seem insignificant to us. Right? It was not insignificant to her. Because as small as that giving was, my, my guess is that in her poverty, she wasn't sure where her, the money for her next meal was going to come from. Right? The text says she put in all she had to live on. In other words, she didn't have anything left. She wasn't sure how she was going to put clothes on her back. She wasn't sure how she was going to keep a, a roof over her head. But yet, even in her, her dire financial uh, situation... Right? She, she was not prevented from living generously, giving generously. Right? Even, even though her, her, her pockets were empty, her heart was full. Full of, of faith, full of trust that God would provide for her needs, as, as Paul says in Philippians, according to his riches in glory. She knew that she didn't have what it took to meet uh, her most basic needs the next day, but, but clearly her trust and her faith is in the God who, who provides what we need. And clearly she believed it because she gave all that she had to live on. 
Right? And, and according to Jesus, her gift, as small, as insignificant as it was, was more than all the rest that day. But, but here's what I want you to hear, and here's where we're going to kind of turn and talk about what this means for us. Her willingness to give was not primarily about the amount of her gift. Right? Clearly, Jesus says she gave more than the rest of them combined. So clearly her willingness to give was not primarily about the quantity of the gift. It was, it was about the quality of her heart. Right? The posture of her heart in her giving. Right? That's, that's what this passage is primarily about. This is not primarily a passage about giving. It's about giving, but it's not primarily about giving. This is a passage about the heart kind of behind or underneath our giving or our generosity. So let me free you up a little bit this morning, because here's what I've found to be true. is uh, (laughs) I spent about eight and a half years in student ministry. I'm still not sure what makes for a more awkward room. When you talk to, uh, like I did student ministry with teenagers, um, I'm not sure what's more awkward to talk about teenagers, about love, dating, sex, or to talk to adults about money. Like both just create this really awkward vibe in the room. Um, let me ease, ease your look. We're, we're not talking about really either one of those things primarily this morning. Okay. What I want to get at is the heart behind the giving. Right, you, you follow me? Like the heart under the giving. So there's going to be language about giving and generosity, but that's, like, that's the surface. We're trying to get under that. We're trying to get to the, the heart of it. All right, that's the goal. So now to be fair, the Bible is pretty clear that God's people should be a generous people. Right? We should be a people who, who give. Right? Because we recognize, as we just sang about, that God has given everything to us. Right? He, he did not withhold any. He gave us his son. God has generously given to us. And so we should be a people marked by generosity. Right? I think giving is good and right. I think giving to the church is good and right. Especially if you are a member of Valley Creek. Like that should be a, a financial priority for you is to give to the church as you are able to give to the church. All, right, all throughout the, the Bible, God's people are commended over and over and over again for their generosity, right? especially in the New Testament. We read Paul going on his journeys and uh, preaching the gospel and spreading the gospel, and he's constantly commending other churches that support him in making sure the gospel goes forth. Right? The church grows through the generosity and giving of God's people. But with that said, all throughout specifically the New Testament, God seems to be far more concerned with the heart behind or or, or under our generosity than with the act of giving itself or or even with the amount of the gift. God seems to be far more concerned with our hearts in giving than the size of our gifts. Right, And to kind of illustrate that, Right, this is uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8. This is part of what I was just talking about, Paul spreading the gospel. Let me read the first four verses of this. This is Paul sort of offering, uh, he's commending the Macedonian churches for their support. And he says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, 
their abundance of joy, and listen to this, and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. All right, um, just to reclap, recap, reclap, that's not a word. Maybe it is. All right, he says that in their affliction, in their poverty, right, they, they willingly gave. It says they gave of their own accord. All right, they gave uh, in their poverty, they gave even beyond what they could reasonably afford to give, at least from a, a worldly standpoint. Right, it was glad, joyful, worshipful hearts that overflowed into what Paul calls a wealth of generosity. Right? But, I mean, think about what Paul emphasizes, though. He, he doesn't really emphasize this. I mean, he says it was a wealth of generosity, but, but that's about all he says about the gift. But he says a lot about their, their hearts. Right? They were uh, in an abundance of joy. Right? They gave according to their means and beyond their means, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Like they begged for the opportunity to contribute in some meaningful way. Can you imagine if we as God's people like just, just walked around looking for, begging for opportunities to give and be generous? I, I, I read a story this week uh, this is going to be my paraphrase of uh, back in December. Uh, there was a church in, I believe it was in Nigeria. And um, had a, somebody come from the, uh, I guess the local missions board came. And, and somehow this church in Nigeria found out about the tornadoes in western Kentucky. I don't know which direction is west. But uh, I found out about the, the tornadoes in western Kentucky. And so this Nigerian church... Uh, men and women who make on average about $3 a day pulled together their resources because they were earnestly begging for the opportunity to give, to contribute. Right? If I would have thought ahead, I would have had the picture. The, the, the picture in the article said that uh, it was just Nigerian currency that they collected. It's some, the sum was like less than $100. But they wanted to give. They wanted to give. Right? They were... It was a matter of, of the heart for them. But here's what Paul goes on to say. We're talking about the heart, right? We're talking about the, the heart in our giving, the heart in our generosity. Here's what Paul goes on to say in the next chapter, 2 Corinthians 9, verse uh, 7. He says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Right, our giving, our generosity, whether it's a huge amount out of our abundance, abund, abundance, is that right? Whether it's a tiny amount out of our poverty. According to this, what, what God cares about most is not the size of the gift, but the heart of the giver. That we would give uh, joyfully, glad, gladly, right, not out of uh, compulsion, not reluctantly or, or hesitantly, right, but cheerfully. Right? This is what 
This is what God desires for His people as we give. Glad, worshipful, cheerful, joyful hearts. All right, so um, here's kind of the bottom line. Right, in, in God's economy right, of giving, a gift of six figures or a gift of two small copper coins can both be considered a generous gift. Because again, the gift is not primarily about the size of the gift. It's about the heart of the giver. All right, let, me, let me share a story with you that I read this week. I'm just going to read it directly so I don't butcher it. All right, so hang with me here for a second. This is a, it says, um, this is about a missionary in South Africa. It says, after hours of worship one day, I was happy to announce that our mission board back home in the States had granted the churches of our host country $10,000 to provide Bibles, train leaders, and start Bible studies in homes. We knew that most of our audience made only $1 per day if they had a paying job. For them, $10,000 was a staggering amount of money. And given this context, $10,000 seemed like a massively sacrificial gift. But then he goes on to say, I was not prepared for what happened following my almost throwaway announcement. I mean, this is a church in South Africa making a dollar a day if they have a paying job. He says, a spontaneous offering broke out and it lasted over three hours. But here's where the story gets good. He says, caught up in exuberance, in the exuberance of the moment, I noticed an old woman sitting by herself, seemingly unaffected by the joy of giving that surrounded her. After nearly two hours of spontaneous offering, this woman finally stood up and started making her way to the front of the church. She was aged with wrinkled flesh and arthritic fingers and a look of deep concern and determination on her face. She was too crippled to dance and too focused to sing. As she limped towards the altar, she reached into the front of her blouse and took out a knotted handkerchief. And with crooked fingers and teeth, she slowly unknotted her handkerchief to reveal a small coin. And when she reached the altar table, she slowly laid her coin on the rough wood. She stood by herself for a moment and seemed to caress the coin before slowly walking back to her bench. After hours of spontaneous offering, I went up to the front of the church with one of the leaders and I picked up the coin she had given. I had never seen such a copper coin in the seven years that we lived in South Africa. I gave it to the leader telling him who had given it and asked him if he knew what it was. He stared at me before taking the coin and walking back <coughs> excuse me, to where the old woman was still sitting. And after about 10 minutes, he returned with her story. What she had given was a British halfpenny. It was her life savings and retirement fund. It was all that she had. But that's not even the crazy part. Says what she did not know was that this coin was taken out of circulation in 1967. It had no value. It literally could buy nothing. Knotted in her handkerchief, stored in the front of her blouse, this coin had measured her hope for the future. And still she gave it all to Jesus. That, that is a picture of what it looks like to give with a glad, joyful, generous heart. 
She was oblivious to to the amount, the insignificance of her gift. She just wanted to give because the opportunity presented itself. Her heart was set on giving everything that she had to the Lord. So how do we get there? How do you you and I in uh, 21st century America, the the most wealthy nation to have ever existed, how do we get to that point where we're willing to take whatever we have and just say, Lord, this is yours. Do with it what you will. What makes it challenging for us to kind of answer that question is there are no follow these three steps to be a generous person. Right? Remember, we're talking about the heart. Right? You, can, you can give, but we're talking about the heart. Like, How do we get our hearts to that point? And the truth is that, that you and I, in our own power, can't get our hearts to that point. Right? We, we don't have the ability to kind of reach in here and, and work on our own hearts and pull out uh, the greed and pull out the pride and, and pull out the... Like, we don't have that ability in and of ourselves. That's a work that the Spirit of God has to do in us as we submit our lives to Him, as we we consider what Christ has done for us, the generosity that He showed to us, and and we grow into His image. This This is what Paul says. Going back to 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. This is our motivation. It says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. This is the good news of the gospel, that Jesus, like, Jesus willingly left the perfection, the glory, the wealth of heaven came to this earth in in the most humble form, a human being in the form of a child, grew up in obscurity, no place to lay his head, is what he says in the Gospels. He was willingly mocked, rejected, beaten, murdered for sins that were not his. So that through his poverty, through his suffering, through his radical generosity, that you might become rich, that you might experience salvation, that you might experience the same uh, eternal riches that he left to come and, and save you. That's a picture of generosity. That's the ultimate picture of a heart motivated by obedience to God and a love for others. And and that's like that heart becomes ours, not by us having any sort of ability to kind of fix what's broken in us, but as we lean in to the good news of Jesus to the generosity shown to us in the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. As we lean into that, 
greater faith and obedience. And as we allow the Spirit of God to conform our hearts more and more into the image of Christ. It's, it's by beholding the generosity that Jesus showed that, that we become more generous people. Because when we realize that Jesus paid it all for us, that's what motivates us to, to give all to Him. Jesus, Jesus is where we find our generosity. His heart becomes ours as we lean in, allow the Spirit of God to do what the Spirit of God does. So that's what we're going to do now. We're just going to ask that the Spirit of God would make us into a joyful, glad, obedient, generous people. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you uh, this morning from a wide variety of places. There are some in here this morning that, uh, or that you, have, you have given your favor to and blessed. They make great money. There are some in this room this morning, Lord, that um, not even sure where the, the, the money for the next rent payment is going to come from. I think it's by design that you knit us all together in the same place at the same time. This is a beautiful picture of what the church is, that people of, of different backgrounds and um, all together in one place to worship the same God, to sing about the same grace and mercy that you've lavished on all of us. So, Father, I pray that regardless of where we fall in the spectrum of, of rich to poor, abundance, poverty, I pray that you would make us a generous people. I pray, Father, that we would, that we would meditate on uh, the reality that, that you have withheld nothing from us. You gave us your Son. So, Father, I pray that that would motivate us as we think on that, meditate on that, dwell on that, praise and worship you for that that you would create generosity in our hearts, that we would, or that we would give uh, as we are able with, with glad, joyful, uh, obedient, willing hearts, Lord. Conform, conform us more and more into the, the image of your Son, who though he was rich, yet he became poor, so that in his poverty and by his poverty, we might become rich. Father, maybe there's someone here this morning that maybe they've never uh, received the gift of Jesus Christ. They've never received the gift of salvation. They've never repented and believed the good news of the gospel. I pray that even, even a sermon about the heart behind generosity might move them to see how generous you've been to them, that they would surrender their lives to you. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we thank you for the good news of Jesus and that he was willingly paid it all. And so, Father, we, uh, we ask that you would do this in us, and we ask in Jesus' name, amen.